Welcome to the Peavine Podcast, where each week we bring you the message from our Sunday morning worship service with Pastor Joel Sutherland, so that we can help you apply biblical truth to your daily life. You can always join us in person each Sunday at 8.30 a.m. and 11 here on our beautiful campus in Rock Spring, Georgia. Hey, if you have your Bibles, will you turn to the book of 1 John chapter 3? 1 John chapter 3, I'm starting a new sermon series today called Love Life. That doesn't mean love life. It doesn't mean love life. It's talking about love life. Let's try to do that. I'm not talking about marriage today. It's Valentine's weekend. I'll tell you a little bit about Valentine's in a moment. But when you look through the book of John, you see this word, 1 John, you see this word love mentioned over and over again. As a matter of fact, the word love is mentioned 26 times in the book of 1 John and it's only five chapters. Now, to put that in perspective, uh, that's the third most of any book in the Bible. The, the word love is used 38 times in the book of Psalms, but the Psalms is 150 chapters long. It's used 27 times in the book of the Song of Solomon, which is a book about romantic love, and it's eight chapters long. And then you find it tied for third with Proverbs, which is 31 chapters long, mentions love 26 times. With the Gospel of John, which is 21 chapters long, uses the word love uh, 26 times. And then this small book, the book of John, that uses the word love 26 times in five very short chapters. Now, you might be asking me, well, what's love got to do with it, preacher? Well, here's what it has to do with it. Everything in the Christian life is based on this idea of love. And so 1 John talks about love, and we're going to do it over the next few weeks. We're going to talk about God's love for us today. We're going to talk about our love for God. We're going to talk about our love for one another. We're going to talk about what we should love, and listen, what we should not love. John even addresses that. Have you found First John? I want you to make sure you find it. It's a hard book to find. It's right before Second John, if that helps you out any, but it probably doesn't. First uh, John, if it's almost at the end of your Bible. So if you go to the book of the Revelation and you go back a few pages, you'll find First John right there. Hey, let me say this this morning. I almost had to say it now because it's going to get your mind wandering, but come back to me. We have already, so we had 144 chairs set out at Rossville. We've already had to set out chairs. They are, um, yeah, fantastic. Man, that's awesome. So far, not counting nursery, so far we're counting 185 people at the Rossville lunch. We may overnight be the largest church in Rossville. Like, like well, day one, we may, Denny, we may be the largest church in Rossville. I'm not sure. I didn't check that out, but I'm just saying uh, that is fantastic. So glory to God. So back to love life. Now, when you start talking about love, it all hinges on one verse, and I, and I don't want you to look there. I'm just going to read it. In 1 John 4, 8. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. Now, here's what that verse tells us, that if love is not present in your life, you cannot know God. Why can you not know God? Because God is love. And if you know God, the love of God is going to bleed through your own life. The hippies back in the 60s, some of you were flower children back in the 60s, and uh, uh, they went around with placards all the time that had this phrase on it, God is love. But, but towards the end of the hippie movement, they inverted the words and they would say, love is God. That is anything they called love had to be by God, had to be of God. But listen, love by any definition is not God. John's statement, God is love, means that it has 
one idea. It is a sacrificial giving love. As a matter of fact, in the Greek language, there are four words to use to depict four different kinds of love. There's eros, which meant sexual passion. There's stergeo, which meant family love. There is phileo, which meant friendship. And then there's the word you see most often in 1 John, and that's agapeo, or agape, you might have heard it called, for loving kindness. It is the term used exclusively by John to describe the love of God. It is an unselfish love that transcends natural affections. It's a love, as a matter of fact, that does not come naturally. Agapeo is a, is a God-only love, meaning if it is not given to you by God, if you are not filled with the Spirit of God, it is this God loving through you. So I want you to have that in mind as we talk about our love life. And again, not romantic, not, uh, 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 not anything to do with Valentine's Day, but it is the weekend before Valentine's Day. And so I'm just going to pause for a moment in my sermon and give you some facts about Valentine's Day and allow some of you men who didn't know it was Valentine's Day on uh, Wednesday to get the juices flowing just a little bit, all right? You say, was Valentine's Day a big deal? It is. We actually spend in America 13.2 billion, with a B, billion dollars on Valentine's Day. We exchange 180 million Valentine's Day cards. We produce 198 million roses just for Valentine's Day. Yet 85% of the cards are bought by women. 73% of the flowers are purchased by men. Get this, 14% of women send themselves flowers on Valentine's Day. Now ladies, if your husband does not give you something for Valentine's Day, do that. Send yourself flowers and just send it from the guy who loves you or the person who loves you. He will get you flowers next year, I promise he will. But listen to this. We, the average consumer spends $116.21 on Valentine's Day or uh, that's, a, that's roughly the equivalent of a Hallmark card, best I can tell, is $116. So you bought one, right? You know, you know what I'm talking about. Um, get this, my favorite stat. The percent of women who would end their relationship if they didn't get something for Valentine's Day. Gentlemen, you need to hear what I just said. Are y'all with me? All the men look at me. All the ladies punch your men, right? Let Make them look here. The percent of women who would end the relationship if they do not get something for Valentine's Day, which is Wednesday this week, <laughs> you have no excuse. 53% of women say they will end their relationship. There is a good chance it will end with your death if you don't get her something on Valentine's Day. 53%. That's tough, man. That is tough. Do something. And some of you guys are thinking, well, I'll grab something Wednesday. Hey, there are so many men surrounding the card counter at Kroger's or wherever you shop on Wednesday. You're not doing anything on Wednesday. The only card that will be left on Valentine's Day on Wednesday is the one that says, Happy Valentine's Day, Mom. And you had better not buy that on Wednesday. 
You say, what do I get her? Well, stats show uh, 47.5% of, of people send candy, 52.1% give cards, 34.3% flowers, 34.6% eating out, and about 17.3% uh, do jewelry. Just find something and make sure they get it on Valentine's Day. We go through all of that to express our love for someone on Valentine's Day. Why? Because we want our spouse, our husband, our wife, our boyfriend, our girlfriend, our significant other, we want them to know how much we care. And here's what we feel like. We feel like that we need to do a tangible expression of our love for them. We feel like in order to show our love, we need to give them something. And that's exactly what God did. To demonstrate his love for you. And in 1 John, John tells us that. So would you stand with me as we read our Bibles in 1 John chapter 3. I'm going to do something I, I never do. I, I can't remember ever doing this in a sermon series. I'm, I'm not taking uh, verses in, in chronological order necessarily. We're taking subjects of love throughout the book of 1 John. So what I'm going to do today is I'm going to read you four different verses in three different places. So just keep a lively Bible open, and they're all close together. But let's read these four verses. 1 John chapter 3, verse 1. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us, that we should be called children of God. Therefore the world does not know us, because it did not know him. Now in that same chapter, look down in John chapter, 1 John 3, verse 16. By this we know love... Because he laid down his life for us, and we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Now flip it over a page maybe and look at 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4, and there's two verses here I want to read. Verses 9 and 10. In this the love of God was manifested toward us. That God has sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Thank you. You may be seated. So all of these verses that I read this morning highlight one central theme that also runs through the book of 1 John. It's a central theme that runs through the New Testament. It is the central theme that runs through the Old Testament. It is the central theme that runs throughout all of the Bible, and that is this, God loves us. So this morning I want to preach on this subject, Jesus loves me, here's how I know. Let me walk you through those four verses just quickly and make some observations. We begin in chapter 3, verse number 1, where John's uh, statement in, 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 in verse number 1 piggybacks off chapter 2, verse 29, where in chapter 2, verse 29, he talked about us being born again, born again, born of God. And when he talks about us being born of God in chapter 2, verse 29, he then segues into chapter 3, verse 1, and he uses an exclamation point. He says, behold. What manner of love? Some translations say, how great the love. That exclamation in the Greek is a Greek word, potopaten. It means, uh, listen, it means something from another world. 
It means something from another country. It means something exotic, something beyond what has been previously experienced. The translation could read this, Behold what exotic love the Father has poured on us. Here's what John is trying to tell us, that the love of God comes from another world. It is not of the human race. And this love has been lavished on us, poured out on us, as shown by one clear fact. Don't miss this. Verse number one is trying to tell us one thing, that we know God loves us because we are the children of God. It's interesting, the word for children there emphasizes birth, not infancy. He's highlighting the fact that we, when we are believers in Christ, we are born as a child of God. That God has given birth to believers as his very own children. And it's the title we carry, children of God. That when he calls us Christians, he makes us his children. And great as he is, God has brought believers into the loving, intimate relationship of children with their father. And so John says in 1 John chapter 3, verse 1, here's the point of 1 John. It is an amazing love. It is an out-of-this-world love. Not just that God saves us. That God saves us and calls us his children. And then jump down in chapter 3, verse 16. John's readers were clearly struggling with the topic of love. It's it's talked about so much in the Bible. And as the ultimate example of love in 1 John 3, 16, he refers to this. He says, we know what love is. How do we know what love is, John? Because Jesus laid down his life for us. It's interesting that John 3, 16 and 1 John 3, 16 both talk about God giving his life for us because of his love. He's trying to tell us that love takes place when we become other-centered rather than self-centered. You remember John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Again, the love of God is demonstrated because Jesus gave his life for us. And then that said weighs down in chapter 4, verses 9 and 10. The subject is picked up again. That God sent his, his son openly to all the world to give himself as a sacrifice for our sins. Why? Because he loves us. Not only did God send his son to demonstrate his love, but also that we might live through him. This is not kind, some kind of future life. It is an immediate gift. We are possessors of eternal life right here and now. So when he says in verse number 9 that he, we might live through him, he means we have eternal life right now. But verse number 10 is so important. Because verse number 10, we are told that he sent his son to atone for our sins. That he is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. You understand, in no way, sometimes Jesus is referred to as a martyr. Jesus was not a martyr of the Christian faith. Jesus was the sacrifice so we could be saved. And verse number 10 uses a word you've probably never used in a sentence. I doubt you've even said it in Sunday school. It's only found twice in the Bible, and he says this, that he was the propitiation for our sins. He was the atoning sacrifice. In the New Testament, 
We find man incapable of offering anything to placate God's wrath because of his righteousness. And so in order for him to accept sinful man, it was necessary for God to do something to deliver man from his sin. It is Christ himself, therefore, who becomes our propitiation. The words meant to make favorable. It means to make us acceptable, to satisfy God's righteousness. This is not merely appease God, but it provides the means for the redemption of man. We are acceptable for fellowship with God for one reason. Christ became the vicarious sacrifice for our sins. Christ appeased the wrath of God for our sins. All four of those verses in the book of 1 John. Talk about how much Jesus loves us. So I know some of you may be here today and you may be thinking, well, preacher, that's easy uh, preacher talk. That's cheap preacher talk. I mean, after all, I've heard that all of my life that God loves me, but I don't feel loved. I, I don't know that God loves me. I don't know that God knows who I am. I don't know that God cares who I am. Well, let me tell you three things we learned from these four verses that show me God loves me. Here we go. Jesus loves me. Here's how I know. Number one, here's how I know. I'm not just a friend, I'm family. I'm not just a friend, I'm family. See, Paul starts off chapter 3, verse number 1 with that exclamation, behold. Now, can I say to you this morning that there's this erroneous idea, and you hear it in Hollywood all the time, that we're all the children of God. Listen, we are not all the children of God. Those who are believers in Jesus Christ are the children of God. Everyone else is the creation of God. But we're not all God's children. And so for, uh, John tells us in chapter 3, verse 1, listen, those who are the children of God are those who have been born again into the family of God. And he says, look at how much God loves us. God loves us so much, he made us family. We are his children. Not sometime in the distant future. But now, and get this, us becoming the children of God wasn't a necessity. God didn't have to save us, but he did. But God didn't have to make us his children, but he did. God could have kept us as servants. God could have made us slaves. But what God chose to do was to make us his child. And if you're using a New International Version this morning, it says, Behold, what lavish love is this? It's the kind of love that is out of this world. And here's the truth. There are some things that you do out of duty. And there are some things you do out of love. And those are two different things. About 10 years ago, probably maybe 11 or 12 years ago, uh, I got sick. I caught a virus and I spent three days in a hospital. Monday, Tuesday, and got out late Wednesday night. It was two nights in the hospital. Two nights, three days. And so, uh, man, I was sick. I think I got 12 IV bags while I was there. I was totally dehydrated. I was, it was a mess. And, and uh, I was only about, we only lived about three miles from the hospital and our kids were younger, still at home. And and uh, I told my wife, I said, hey, don't, don't stay, tell Sherry, don't stay at the hospital with me. You just go home. I got, I got nurses and doctors here. I'm fine. And she would not leave the hospital. She literally would not leave the hospital. And you stayed in the hospital probably with family or loved ones before. And, you know, I got a nice comfortable bed. And she gets kind of a pull-out chair thingamajig that she has to sleep on at night. And it went fine. The first night she stayed with me, and I'm just begging her, Sherry, go home, go home, don't stay here with me. She said, no, I'm, I'm not going to leave you. And uh, I'm pretty sure she was worried that if I died, some, the insurance money would go somewhere else. And so I just make she's, I want, nobody touch the body. You know, nobody touch the body. But, you know, she loved me, and she was staying with me. And uh, 
uh, it came to that second night. You know how they do in the hospital. If you're a nurse or a doctor, I mean, like, I'm not knocking you, but you know how it is. It's, it, they wake you up all night long. They, they, you know, it's like you know, they shake you to make sure you're alive, I think. You know, are you awake? We're going to turn the lights on, stick a needle in you, just make sure you're awake. And so that stuff's going on all night long. And if you're staying with somebody, you don't sleep well either. And so it was that second night. It was about 2 or 3 in the morning. The nurse came in, flipped the lights on, stuck something somewhere. And, and, and Sherry looked at me during all that. And I got wires coming out of me, probably, probably one tube, but it felt like tubes everywhere, you know. And, and Sherry looks up at me and she said, uh, uh, how much room do you have up there in that bed? And I kid you not, do, do, you, do you know what, uh, you know how fast light travels, 186,000 miles per second? I literally blinked, and I said, well, good Lord, she's in the bed with me. <laughs> How'd you get up here so fast? And she got in the bed with me, got under the covers with me, and she snuggled up next to me. And here, here's what I would say. I was sick. You, you shouldn't have been around me. Duty had her sitting in the hospital with me. Love had her snuggling up next to me while I was there. Can I say that's exactly what it means to be a child of God? God didn't have to save us, but God chose to save us. And for that, we would still be singing his praise. We would still be saying how great he was. But that could have been the end of the story. Instead, he saved us and he brought us into the family. That's why the term born again is so prominent in the Bible. We are born into the family of God. And for that, John said, here's how I know Jesus loves me. It would have been great to have been just a friend, but we are family. Jesus loves me. Here's how I know I'm not just a saved servant of God. I'm not just a saved friend of God. I'm a saved, born into the family of God. And John says, here's how I know Jesus loves me. It's a love that's out of this world. Second way, Jesus loves me, here's how I know. Number two, he didn't just say he loved us. He gave his life for us. You know, the fact is, anybody can say I love you. You have probably said I love you. Guys, let's be honest, you probably told some second grade girl you loved her when you were in second grade, right? Like you, 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 and at the time, you probably were what you thought was in love, and you know, you've been told that before in your life. You've said it before, and you've been told before that, that you've loved someone, and you knew it wasn't actually true, and the reason we do that is words are easy to come by, but actions are harder to live by. And God knows that. That's why we know he loves us. He didn't sit on a lofty throne and send angels to declare his love. He could have done it. God could have sat on his throne and sent an angelic choir to earth. And he could have said, I want the angels to circle the earth. The choir of heaven to circle the earth. And I want you to sing to earth how much I love them. But God knew that did not demonstrate so how did he demonstrate our love? He tells us in verse 16 that he came to earth and gave his life for us. See, when someone gives all they have for you, it screams out, I love you, even if the words aren't said. Because actions always speak louder than words. It's too easy to say one thing and do the exact opposite. You've probably heard this story um, 
about a man that was being tailgated by some stressed out lady who was on the phone, just kind of, he could see in her rearview mirror, she's just all uh, over his car, and so the light in front of him turned yellow, and he probably could have made it through the light, but he thought, I'm, I'm not going to give this lady the privilege of making it through the light, so he stopped at a yellow light and waited for it to turn red. Well, he was watching in the mirror, and the lady behind him went absolutely berserk. She was honking her horn, screaming at him, very frustrated, just absolutely going berserk. And while she was in mid-rant, a police officer came up and knocked on her window. He was real serious, and so he asked her to get out of the car. She got out of the car. He handcuffed her, put her in the back of his car, drove her down to the police station, booked her, fingerprinted her, photographed her, and put her in the cell. It was about three hours later, he came and got her out of the cell, took her back up front, gave her her personal belongings back, and he said, ma'am, I'm very sorry for the mistake. He said, when I pulled up behind you and saw you blowing the horn and telling that guy he was number one and yelling at the guy and cussing a blue streak out of him, he said, I looked at your car, and on the back of your car, you had a what would Jesus do bumper sticker, you had a follow me to Sunday school bumper sticker, and you had a fish, a Christian fish, on the back of your bumper sticker. So when I saw how you were acting, I saw those uh, 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 bumper stickers. Naturally, I just assumed you had stolen the car. <laughs> right? Because I can advertise whatever I want to advertise. But how I act and my actions prove otherwise. It's easy to advertise one thing and live another. And so God removed all doubt. And he removed all doubt because verse 16 says he gave his life for you. Jesus loves me. Here's how I know. He gave his life for me. It was the ultimate act of love from God. And I want to say to you today, if you're here today and you are not a believer in Jesus Christ and someone has tricked you into thinking that Christianity is all about what I can't do and all what I can't do and about all of these rules and about money they're going take up at the church. Listen, you have got you so distorted. That is so wrong. Here's what Christianity about is about that God loves you so much. He gave his life for you. And God loves you so much that if you were going to be the only one through all of history to accept his love, he would have still given his life for you. Knowing that, how can I turn that away? If you're here today and you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, how can you turn away that love? But listen, if you're here today and you are a believer, look this way. How can we accept that love and then go on with life as normal? How can we accept that love and just check Sundays off a list? How can we accept that love and not spend time in prayer, not give back to the God who saved us, not live our lives for God? How can we accept the love of God and then go on with life as normal? No, it can't be. It can't be. Jesus loves me. Here's how I know. He didn't just say he loved us. He gave his life for us. And number three, and I'm finished. Jesus loves me. Here's how I know. He didn't just pay the price. He was the sacrifice verses 9 and 10. Because of our sin and rebellion, a price had to be paid for our sin. There was no plan that allows sin to enter the presence of a holy God, which means we could not be the sacrifice for our own sin. That's why in the book of Genesis, when Adam and Eve sinned, God can no longer walk with them in the evening because sin was in his life. And his wrath is upon the sin of the world. So a price had to be paid. Yet the only one who could pay the price was God. 
The price for sin was so high that a sinner could not pay the ransom. And the word propitiation means that Jesus appeased the wrath of God that was due our sin. The price of our redemption didn't involve money, power, prosperity. It required a sacrifice. And here's how you know Jesus loves you. He was the sacrifice. And he paid the sin debt you owed and the sin debt I owed, not with a checkbook. But he paid it with his own blood. Hey, close your Bibles and I'm, I'm finishing up. I'll be through in just a couple minutes. Have you ever wondered what you would buy if you had gobs of money? I don't mean won the lottery kind of money. I mean, what would you buy if you had Warren Buffett, Bill Gates kind of money? I have some items for you. For some of you who have that kind of money, let me give you some ideas, all right? Think food for a second. What kind of food would you buy if you had unlimited amounts of money? Well, let me give you an idea. The most expensive burger in the world is this hamburger right here. Chef Diego's Wagyu Burger in San Diego This chef prepares this burger out of, listen, Wagyu steak, lobster, caviar, something called faux gros or faux gras, which is a fatty duck liver, and truffles. This burger costs $2,000. But yet, Chef Diego Wagyu says this. This Chef Diego, not his, says the Wagyu burger said, well, in truth, I quote, He's actually tasted better burgers that cost about $18. But hey, if you got money to burn, you ought to try a $2,000 burger, right? What about if you wanted something to wear? Well, girls, you need something for the tacky prom. Here's a pair of shoes you can buy that cost just $3 million. They were made in 1989 by Harry Winston, and as you can recognize them, they are a replica of the ruby slippers from The Wizard of Oz. He spent two months tediously placing 4,600 rubies in those shoes, and it has 1,350 carats worth of rubies and 50 carats of diamonds, and all it takes is $3 million. Run out and buy those today. What about sports fans? Well, Baseball card collecting is big, and the most expensive baseball card ever sold was Honus Wagner's 1909 T206 baseball card. Considered the holy grail of baseball cards because of its rarity and mint condition, it was last sold for $3.12 million. If you got money to burn, right, go get it. Well, what about, what about photography? Now, we know paintings cost hundreds of millions of dollars, but look at this photograph. It was taken in 1999 by Andreas Gerskis, and it's entitled Rhine the, Number 2. And it sold for $4.3 million in 2011. Now, hold it there for a minute, guys. He admits the photo was photoshopped. $4.3 million. I'm just saying, kids, you got an iPhone. I mean, there's your college money right there. It's a picture of grass and water. Go have at it somewhere, right? And finally, maybe you want an expensive house to live in. 
This palatial 10-bedroom Chateau Louis XIV is located just outside of Paris, and it is the most expensive residential property ever sold. Now, there's some on the market uh, for sale for more, but they haven't sold. Some have been uh, built more expensive than, than this. They have not sold. This is the most expensive one ever sold. Imad, a Saudi real estate developer, Imad Kashagugi, sold it in 2015 for a cool $301 million. Now, can I stop and say something right here? If you're planning on buying a $301 million house or you're planning on selling your $301 million house, now's a good time to remind you my wife is a realtor. <laughs> Just FYI. Every one of those items that were purchased, the purchaser, the redeemer walked up and paid money. But Jesus was looking at our sin. And God said in Matthew 8, 36, what good would it do to gain the whole world and lose your soul? Here's what he said by that. The point is your soul is humanly priceless, but it has been heavenly paid for. You remember the old song? Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, but he washed it white as snow. That's how you know Jesus loves you. He was the sacrifice for our sins. So look right this way. What do you do about that? Jesus loves you. Here's how I know. I'm family. He gave his life for me. And I owed a debt I could not pay. But Jesus paid it all. What do you do with that? Do you come to church and you hear a sermon on that and you go, oh great, I've been to church, what do we want for lunch? You can't do that. Because Jesus loves me. It changes everything about my life. If you're here today and you don't know Christ as Savior, how can you walk out of a room knowing that someone gave their life for you and not accept the love that caused them to do that? How do you just walk away from that? How do you, how do you, how do you look into God and say, no, God, thanks for dying for me, but I'm going to work my way to heaven? Well, God's up in heaven saying, why would you do, try, even try to do that? You can't, but why would you even try? I gave my life for you. I was the sacrifice. I'll make you my child. All you have to do is receive the love I've already shown to you. So I want to invite you to do that today. Would you take that connection card and just put it in your hand for a moment, your lap for a moment, just hold on to that. You feel that earlier. And just real quickly look right up here. So when you get that in your lap, look this way, and then would you bow your heads and close your eyes? If you're here today and you don't know Christ as your Savior, but you would like to know Christ as your Savior, if you want to accept the love God has given you, I want to lead you in a prayer right now. It's not the words you say, but the intent of your heart is to trust Jesus as your Savior. The intent of your heart is to accept God's love. And so if you'd like to do that just now, I want you to pray with me. It's not the words you say, it's the intent of your heart. And you can pray out louder in your heart, but pray a prayer like this. You want to become a believer. You want to become a child of God. Pray, pray with me. Say, dear Lord Jesus, I know I can't save myself, but I know Christ died on the cross for me and rose again on the third day. 
so I could be saved. So just now invite Christ into my heart and life to save me, forgive me of my sins, and to give me a home in heaven. While our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed, if you just prayed that prayer with me. We hope that you've enjoyed the message this week, helping you to apply God's word to your daily life. For more information about Peavine, be sure to check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and at our website, www.peavine.org. Thanks for listening.